This episode, we've already we've already talked about it like multiple times before recording because mm-hmm. it's a lot and it's gonna be a lot. Yeah, this whole episode really pissed me off. It's gonna be hard to stay on track. We talked about like like how to okay, we gotta stay on track. We gotta whatever, and then we would gonna... both be taking notes separately and text each other and be like, "This yep. is some bullshit," and I'm gonna fucking <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, you know what? I'm not gonna go on a rabbit hole this time. And then I was like. I know. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this section. Oh, they said this. (laughs) Yeah. God, I was even talking about it yesterday to somebody else. Yeah. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We're on season four, episode 21, Fallacy. Why did they use that name? Mm -hmm. Why did they use that? Because I was like, is it because it sounds like phallic? That's what I thought too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they're doing a little play on words because it's a trans person and it's mm-hmm. there was lies, lies, lies. Right. Ugh. The opening scene, we're at a house party. The host is freaking the fuck out because her friend invited like, quote, 25 slobs. And she's like, <laughs> She's dealing with all this chaos. All these fucking humps at her party. <laughs> right, yeah. And this kid fucking comes up and he's like, you, yeah, we're out of beer. And she's like, oh, we are? Guess you should fucking leave then. Yeah, even teenage girls are treated like moms. He's like, we don't have any cold beer. We don't have any clean underpants. <laughs> yeah, her parents are out of town. She's like not supposed to be having a party, of course. Oh my God, but then the same guy is like bitching at her and then he pulls up a cordless phone and oh, by the way, you got a call from the neighbor about the noise. He secretaried <laughs> an entire complaint call and like, led with hey we don't have any cold beer it was very it was should have been two different characters but i don't know maybe it was a budget thing yeah so yeah he hands her the phone she's like oh my god i'm so sorry she's like i wasn't supposed to have so many people here they're threatening to call the cops then she hears glass breaking in the bathroom the door's locked she's fucking banging on it and the door finally opens there's another young woman with blood on her face Mm -hmm. and she's freaking out and she says a guy tried to rape her then there's a fucking dude on the floor out cold. This guy looks like fucking Tommy Lee in army pants. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the window behind them is broken. All right. So Benson and Stabler show up. They're talking with the responding officer. The girl who said the man tried to rape her, her name is Cheryl and she's 19. She's being looked at in the ambulance for injuries. This cop, I hate this fucking guy. But he's him. like, yeah. she's okay, except a cut she has from crowning her alleged attacker on the head with a vase. Mm-hmm. Being all shitty about it. Like he doesn't believe Cheryl. Yeah. Benson rolls her fucking eyes. The guy in the floor in the bathroom his name is Joe Capilla. He was taken to Cabrini Hospital. Benson tells that shit officer, why don't you believe Cheryl? This fucking guy says he doesn't think Cheryl was raped because she's refusing to go to the ER even though she has a torn blouse and a bruised face. I mean, he says that. Yeah. And Benson's like, okay, she was violated. She doesn't want to be fucking poked at. Like, you're a fucking turd. You're a cop. You're an officer. Right. She's like, I'm an SVU detective. Like, don't fucking... Get him off the force immediately. (laughs) Benson goes to the ambulance and she can't find her in there. But it's like, oh my God, she's not in there. Where's Cheryl? And this dopey first responder comes back. He's like lumbers back there. He's like, she was here a minute ago. Must have bailed. And Benny's like, son of a bitch. Even though IRL, this whole thing would be done right now. Like it would be (laughs) over. It's like, damn it. She's gone. Well, on to the next horrible crime. We are in New York after all. (laughs) Toots and the CSU sergeant lady are in the bathroom. She's going over the details of the struggle. She points out shoe marks from the dude's sneakers and then these sliding heel marks where you can see he was shoving Cheryl. Cheryl knocked him in the head with a vase and then the dude fucking whacked his head on the tub on the way down. Benson sent a cop car to check Cheryl's house. They can't find her. The fucking address she gave them is fake. 
And Toots is like, well, this was a party. Someone had to invite her. And I immediately was like, I disagree. But yeah, 100%. Okay, good. I was like, is that college town shit? Like, I've been a young person walking down the street and been like, hey, there's a party in there. We should go. And then you just like make all these new friends and shit. Yeah, yeah. Also, the host of the party at first glance looks like that TikToker who does the drunk girl at the bar shtick. You know, she's she also does the uh, that the nerd at high school with a unibrow that hangs out with her mom a bunch. She looked like that one actress, but I can't remember like the young. Maybe it was. Her. I, don't I know. mean, she's um, she's really a very booked and busy actor. IRL. Mm-hmm. She was Allison and Grace and Frankie. That was like a really big role for her recently. Also, mm-hmm. she'll be back to SVU in 2011, and she was on Suits. Happy belated 80th birthday to my mother-in-law, who calls our podcast just not for her. <laughs> <laughs> Does she? Yeah. <laughs> so. Benson Sabler speak with the host of the party. She only wanted to invite five people for beer and pizza. Uh, Joan and Cheryl weren't even on the list of the people she invited. She doesn't even know them. But her friend Ricky, she like looks over at her. Mm-hmm. She invited them. So when they go over to talk to Ricky, there's this girl. She's like an extra in Clueless. She was wearing a cold shoulder satin mm-hmm. top with a red lip and a beret. <laughs> and she was like comforting yeah. her. But then she stood up like a bot and walked away. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Ricky's the girl in the beginning that she was bitching at. Mm-hmm for inviting everybody. Ricky says she met Joe at a club and thought he was cute and invited him. But he fucking showed up at the party high with his brother Eddie and Cheryl, Eddie's girlfriend. Their brothers were fighting. The only thing that Ricky knows about Eddie and Joe is that they live with their mom. Sailor gets a fucking phone call. Joe died at the hospital, which I wasn't expecting. I don't know. Well, I don't know what I was expecting at this point because I always go in without rereading the recap of it or the, what is it called? The Cliff's Notes, the fucking little blurb mm-hmm. of it that you always give the week before. I always forget mm-hmm. after you say it. Whenever you talk, I just dump it. I dump it immediately. Mm-hmm. But Stabler gets... It- <laughs> Sorry. All, every time? Every single time. <laughs> I don't even know your name. <laughs> I, re- I re-remember um, every time we record because you're like, I'm Gabe. And I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> it's actually Kevin. <laughs> A self-loathing Kevin. When Stabler hangs up the phone, Ricky is, she's she's vulnerable. She's rattled. He goes, that was a hospital. She looks up at Stabes and goes, is Cheryl going to be okay? And Stabler, forgetting all of his dad training, goes, nah, Joe's dead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you fucking dick. <laughs> At the Capilla residence, Benson and Stabler are talking with a bleary-eyed, just-woke-up Eddie. He's fucking shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Oh, my God. I wrote, he's a wannabe Giovanni Ribisi. Oh, my God. Later, I said he's a Giovanni Ribisi. Oh. At first, when he first starts talking, it's very Christopher Walken. And then later, Mm -hmm. it adjusts into this Giovanni Ribisi thing. So I even wrote, even down to the voice. Yeah. Yeah. They ask him what happened at the party. And he just repeats what the hospital told his mom, that his brother tried to rape his girlfriend. Stabes is like, dude what did you actually see and eddie mm-hmm. said he left early because he was having palpitations from fighting with his brother he has a heart condition and needed to take his meds so eddie says he went home he then says that he told cheryl to stay at the party because she was dancing and having fun and whatever mm-hmm. and stabler cop notices <laughs> a little something stabler's like you got a gimp leg you piece of shit oh <laughs> yeah St- well stabler's like kind of like eyebrows and eyeballs him and goes Mm, your bum leg keep you from dancing with her or and i was like "Ooh, that's gonna come up later because i'm a detective now yeah because he was kind of like 
limping around, humping around. Yeah. <laughs> and Eddie gets a little stammery. Like, just that's mm-hmm. his voice. And he's like, oh, geez, yeah, I hurt myself playing hoops, oh, which was dumb because of my heart condition. <laughs> so he's guilty. Mm-hmm. Eddie says that Joe was a punk and treated women like dirt. His dead brother. Mm-hmm. Also that Joe got high all the time. So that's what they were fighting about at the party. Then he turns full Christopher Walken and goes, Cheryl's the nicest girl I've ever met. Yes. It was like an insane vocal fry. He's like, Cheryl's the nicest girl i ever met. It was like fucking wild. I was like, what is this? She wouldn't hit Joe uh, unless he provoked her. <laughs> it was just very, yeah. my version of it, because I have a different like set of vocal cords. I think is more like Natasha Leone because Natasha Leone is the female equivalent to Christopher Walken. We all know that, right? Who's Natasha Leone again? Oh my God. Um, Slums of Beverly Hills, fucking Russian Doll. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. 100% yes, stuff. Yeah. Uh, she has that. She has the same mm-hmm. like interesting cadence that Christopher Walken mm-hmm. has. Mm-hmm. I love her so much. Me too. They let Eddie know that Cheryl ran away and that that looks fucking bad. So he's like, mm-hmm. okay, then I will tell you where she is. Mm-hmm. So now Benson and Stabler are at Cheryl's house talking to a beat up Cheryl, who mm-hmm. is being played by Shane from The L Word, Lena from uh, Ray Donovan. She's another booked and busy and blessed. She's a great actor. Also, when I saw how beat up Cheryl was, I was like, uh, she looks pretty beat up. Fucking earlier cop. No shit. <laughs> Fucking earlier cop. You yeah. from before. <laughs> She says that she ran away because she didn't think the cops would believe her side of the story because they didn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she said it would be Joe's word against mine, which is weird because that never happens. And sexual assault victims always get a fair shake. So (laughs) I'm surprised that she felt that way. Staves again terribly says no worries there joe's fucking dead dude jeez and cheryl's like oh my god i didn't mean to kill him she's all worried that she's gonna go to jail and staves is like not if it's self d share bear it's gonna be fine mm-hmm. so we just have to get all that covered mm-hmm. so she tells them that joe followed her into the bathroom she always tries to be nice to him because he's eddie's brother but she thinks he's a fucking creep then she says when she got into the bathroom he grabbed her breast punched her and pushed her she fought back and he jeez. fell and hit his head on the tub mm-hmm because we're like already jumping to the trans thing like we don't find out that she's trans yet obviously yeah right now there's still like that becomes a <gasps> pivotal fucking thing mm-hmm. in the story at the precinct Craigan and cabot are doing a walk and talk to the gang to see what they've got cabot's waiting to indict cheryl and if the crime lab confirms cheryl's story then it's justifiable homicide mm-hmm. toot says that joe's talk screen is positive for crystal meth okay <laughs> And I was Jeez. like, num, 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 num. Just kidding. <laughs> I, know, I thought of you. I totally thought of you. I thought like early 2000s, Tasha would be like, yeah, cool. Oh, I would. I'd be like, yep, that tracks. Yep. <laughs> Cheryl's got no priors, but Joe does. A previous sexual assault complaint was filed by Paige Zelinsky <laughs> from Zelinsky. Zelinsky Auto Parts. Yeah. But the charges were dropped. And Stave says Joe has a habit of getting high, abusing women, and his own brother thinks he's a hump. <laughs> And they're all talking like they just have to cross their T's and dot their I's, button it right up. This is a clear case of Mm -hmm. self-defense, da-da-da, but we all know what that means, don't we, gumshoes? Yeah, it's like seven minutes in, stuff's gonna get crazy. Yeah, Craigan wants the team, Mm -hmm. ew, I hate that I did that, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's gonna get crazy. It's so glice. (laughs) 
<laughs> Craigan wants the team to check with the medic and the Emmy to see if Joe's wounds confirm Cheryl's side of the story. Stabler does a walk and talk with the responding medic. He says Joe was stabilized for transport, but seized and had a heart attack and was dead on arrival when they got to the hospital. Joe's wounds caused a subarachnoid. I know. It's like spiders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder if maybe they like went like this. Like, I don't know. A subarachnoid hemorrhage. I wonder if that has to. I bet it is connected in some way where maybe it like disperses in like a. That's literally what I did. And I made the same noise. Oh, I, no. I, I thought was... I thought you meant like I thought you were making a joke about like spiders piling out of his skull oh. cracks or something. No. <laughs> Joe's wounds cause a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Spider hurts. <laughs> I don't know why you aren't laughing. That is hilarious. I did laugh. <laughs> I was laughing. Okay. Spider hurts. I don't know why you're not laughing. <laughs> the Joe's other wounds were he had three knuckles on the right hand cut up, and that matches Cheryl's punch in the face. What a fucking... Whatever. I know. I, this whole scene, as they're describing this, I'm like, I'm glad he's dead. Mm -hmm. The medic tells him that Joe was saying things before he had the seizure. Like, get Eddie, get Eddie. He did it. He did it. Did Cheryl leave something out? Ooh. Benson and Stabler show up at Cheryl's job, Monk Thrift Store. A worker tells him that Cheryl has company. But when Benny and Stabes get back there, Cheryl and Eddie are making out so yeah. fucking hard. And I'm like, oh my God, Cheryl, your busted lip. Oh my God. Ow. Yeah, dude. Stabler starts asking the questions about how the window was broken out. And then he's like, um, okay, Eddie, how did you really sprain your ankle? Did he jump out of a fucking... Stabler yeah. goes, stop screwing us around. What happened? I'm like, that's not a sentence that you say when English is your first language. Cheryl's like, oh my God, Eddie had nothing to do with it. And then Stabler tells him what Joe said in the ambulance before he died about, get Eddie, get Eddie. Okay, now we're in the precinct interview room. Cheryl is questioned by Benson, and Eddie is being questioned by Stabler in two separate rooms. Cheryl sticks to her story, but Benson tells her she could be holding back a murder investigation and needs to fucking tell the dang truth. Darn it. If Eddie came back to the party and walked in while Joe was attacking her, it would be fucking self-defense. Also, why is she always wearing this bandana around her neck the entire episode and never gets talked about? Adam's apple. I thought it was one of those things where, like, she wears it and then her husband's like, take it off, and then her head falls off or whatever that <laughs> fucking thing is. <laughs> The forbid woman. No, that's yeah, I, 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 I clocked it, it too. And I was like, I was like, oh, that's probably what that is. I mean, not mm. probably like I'm I'm sure that was a touch that maybe the actor added or somebody, you know, mm. somebody who hasn't I had any kind of feminization surgeries would mm -hmm. that could be more prominent. This is the scene where Eddie fought what feminization when you get like mm -hmm. soften your features and stuff. It's called a facial feminization surgery. Mm. That's interesting. Why do you think that's not? No, no, no. I was just. I'm very mindful about like the terminology. I know you using. are. Yeah, I wasn't. No, no, no. That. I'm just saying like for this episode. So if I'm saying something wrong and you know, I obviously I want you to tell me. Yeah, no, I don't know. I have no idea. This is the scene where Eddie falls out of his walk-in impression for me and goes into a young Giovanni Ribisi. See, he did that in the first time we met him, like halfway through the the scene. Did he? For okay. Me. I think I was, I was like, stuck in the Christopher Walken. a little bit of spit coming out of his mouth. Easy. <laughs> Dead ringer. <laughs> so in the other interview room, Eddie's also sticking to his story. Mm -hmm. He says he never touched Joe. I swear I never touched. I can't do a GM yeah. on Abra BC. So I'm not I gonna can't either. Yeah. I swear I never touched Joe. Yeah. <laughs> 
Stabler tries to rile Eddie up by saying that Joe and Cheryl were hooking up and Eddie caught them and hurt Joe. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, no, there's no way. <laughs> they keep going back and forth, right? So back in Cheryl's room, Benson's asking Cheryl the same shit. Cheryl's like, no, I would never fucking do that to Eddie. I would never do that to Eddie. I don't know. <laughs> so it's going back and forth, back and forth. Joe and Cheryl were getting it on like a couple of humps. <laughs> Humping around like a couple of humps. <laughs> Stabler tells him to be a man, etc. That whole fucking thing. Eddie can't fucking stand it anymore and fucking screams, okay! Eddie starts talking. So Eddie was in the bathroom. They fought earlier because Joe was harassing some of the women at the party and fucking Eddie left. Stabler's like, yeah, 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 you fucking told me that. He was like, I don't give a shit. Right. What are you telling me? We did that already. We did it. Yeah, your fucking pills, your stupid heart. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie says he went back because he felt bad for leaving Cheryl there and found Cheryl and Joe in the bathroom. Joe was already on the ground when he came in. Cheryl told him that Joe tried to rape her and then Eddie jumped out of the window because Cheryl said people would blame him because they were fighting earlier. Cheryl was trying to protect Eddie. Yeah. On the other side of the glass in Cragen's cabbage patch because he's a precious little bald doll. Imagine it, (laughs) Tasha. Imagine his little head. Haven't we already been in his cabbage patch? Have we? We have. Because remember, we talked about the little string on their butts? Yes. I I did one just in case you missed it. I don't want to step on your toes, but on the other side of the glass, in Cragen's mobile dog grooming van, Cragen is brushing Cabot, who's now being played by one of those long-haired Regal Westminster dog show Afghan hounds. Yes. Very, yes. Yeah, you got it. Okay. I'm a little like... Maybe we should like wow. have a little list of what's behind the glass because there's starting to be a lot back there. Yeah. Maybe you just really wanted to revisit the Cabbage Patch and that's fine. I thought that it felt weird. Cabot's there getting pet <laughs> getting groomed. Getting her anal glands expressed. <laughs> Gross. Cabot doesn't know who to believe. Cragen thinks that Cheryl made up the rape to cover for Eddie killing Joe in the fight. Dozens of people. Dozens. <laughs> dozens of people saw them fighting at the party. I love how his go-to as an SVU captain is to be like, well, she, she probably made it up. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that right. says a lot. Yeah. So Kraken's going over everything. He thinks that Eddie killed Joe in the bathroom. And then Cheryl comes into the bathroom, tells Eddie to go out of the window and she'll tell people Joe was trying to rape her. If they're co-conspirators, Cabot can't use anything that they said unless they have co-corroborators. Mm-hmm. But Kraken says they canvassed the whole party and no one saw anything. Cabot wants to see whose story... The physical evidence supports. I mean, yeah, like that's the next step, Duh. you know. But um, also, you ever copped before? You ever copped before? <laughs> but Cragen's theory completely extracts mm-hmm. the punch to the face lining up and with the, the injuries on yeah. Joe's knuckles. Because it's like, well, yeah, then who punched Cheryl in the face? If she came and in and they were fighting and he was, Joe was dead already, like that doesn't make any sense. Because then, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, they could have faked that with fucking Eddie punching her in the face, but that's not what the physical evidence supports. Just Maybe Joe. that's what Cabot's just like, you can have your theories. Let's see what the physical evidence supports because she's sitting there with the same thought going, you're completely knocking out the actual yeah. evidence evidence here but and she's like remember from earlier when the remember from 30 seconds ago when we got this information from a medical examiner 
Right. Yeah, but the rape's probably a lie. And yeah. <laughs> so in the crime lab, Benson and Stabler are going over the findings with hot former bomb squad current crime lab guy. Mm-hmm. He tells them that the fingerprints from all of the parties were present in the bathroom. I can't imagine how many fingerprints were in that mm-hmm. party bathroom. Mm-hmm. Joe's blood was found on his clothing, but the blood on Cheryl's shirt is not Joe's. It belongs to another dude, but not Eddie. Mm-hmm. I read this. Oh my God. It just took me back to like eighth grade story problems. Like if Jenny has nine <laughs> apples and she gives <laughs> Jason, who's taller than her, four apples. Like mm-hmm. So Staves is like... shit that like makes me break a ruler. Oh my God. I loved that. So I was such a fucking nerd for story. I'm like, oh, I'm going to make a graph and I'm going <laughs> to... And then I got put in algebra because my teacher's like, you're really smart at math. I'm like, no, I just get the word math and put me in algebra and then I failed for the rest of the... It had nothing to do with drugs. Anyway, so Stabler's like fucking great. So there was another dude in the bathroom with the dudes and Cheryl. I'm never going to see Kath and the fucking kids. God damn it. Hot the crime <laughs> but twins so hot crime lab guy says that he thought the same thing he's like oh i also thought there was another dude in there until he tested the blood from cheryl's bandage it was a match to the blood on her shirt male chromosomes but it should be cheryl's blood dot 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 mm-hmm. so we all see where this is going everybody is absolutely shocked yeah, he says that Cheryl could have Y chromosomes, which implies male biology. Right. So, and this is where I wrote, uh, and, I, and now I know I'm going to fucking hate this episode. And I wrote, this is where we're going to give our disclaimer. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. The rest of this episode, every other thing people say is so offensive to the trans community. And Mm -hmm. this is what we were talking about. Like we would call each other and be like, I'm just going to fucking rage tangent. I'm not going to be able to handle this. So we can just get it all out right now. That's what I said in these notes. And then I continue to tangent the rest of the episode. So we're going to rein it in as much as we can. But I'm sure the people that listen to this are of the same mind that this episode is just pull your hair out enraging and anybody Mm -hmm. who has any fucking empathy for any other human asking if cheryl is a man is fucking ignorant benson okay Mm -hmm. calling someone a tranny has been deemed offensive and at the time it wasn't based on what we both anger googled uh Mm -hmm. but it is so i was looking into this and you found the same thing too but i just wanted Mm -hmm. to because it was so interesting to me yeah yeah no please Uh, i googled uh, um when the term became like not cool because you know Mm -hmm. language changes and so there was like some confusion in the early 2000s because they were trying co-opt no what's the word for that they were trying to reclaim the word they were trying to reappropriate the word like how queer was bad when we were kids and mm-hmm. not it's like totally reappropriated right. so it didn't take mm-hmm. okay yeah <laughs> so there was like a little while where shows and stuff were like still doing it or whatever and it, and i think like 2011 i think i read that lance bass was that from backstreet boys or in sync one of those guys uh in sync i believe in sync i don't know i don't i'm i'm not versed enough in yeah in sync the or Lance Bass used it and then people were like, fuck you. And he was like, oh my God, I didn't know. Was it on Drag Race? Is that what you were saying? He used it on an episode He of heard Drag it. Race? On, he said he heard it on Drag Race and I was like, well, that's that's not for you. But like, right. he didn't know and like made an apology or whatever. And then mm. by 2017, it was just like universally like, nope. Right. You know, I know the women that threw the brick at Stonehenge. Oh my God, what was her name? Stonewall, honey. Stonewall. <laughs> Stonehenge. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Um, who was that? What was her name? Marsha Johnson, duh. Marsha, yeah, Marsha P. Johnson was her. Yeah, yeah they right. referred to themselves as trannies because mm-hmm. it was like okay then. 
you know, it was right. like their word then. So it was just very interesting. Yeah. And also when speaking of yourself, I guess that's anyway. You can use whatever words you want. Yeah. Just to, to wrap this up, dead naming someone is abusive. Outing someone is abusive. Not using someone's appropriate pronouns is abusive. Mm-hmm. And we're going to try to keep it reined in, but we're not gonna. So. I know. Here I'm, we go. <laughs> I'm already fucking, my blood's already boiling and I've I know. already seen this episode. I know. I had like um, anxiety coming into record this because I'm like, oh, we're just going to get all. Yeah. At the precinct, we're in Craig and Zach. What? Just- oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm like, are you mad at me? No. At the precinct, we're in Craigan's office. Craigan is so confused. Uh-huh. What the hell are we dealing with? He fucking... fucking- fucking trans people you're an svu get chill about every type of victim yeah you know what i mean yeah jesus fucking exactly. christ this is, this is a vulnerable community vulnerable communities are who you deal with like does this not how does this anyway how does this not compute what the hell are we dealing with so huang thinks that cheryl's pre-op and could be taking a lot of hormones and staler thinks that very thing that huang said may be the reason why she didn't go to the hospital to be examined mm-hmm. benson comments on cheryl's ability to pass which is also like jesus not moving the case forward at all why even yeah. comment on that yeah i mean when when staler said the whole thing about the hospital i was like i'm just happy he didn't say he she because he's always saying that <laughs> we'll strap in and he used her correct pronouns and then like immediately later I was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> okay. And then Benson comes <laughs> the next sentence, tranny, and you're like, okay. Ugh. I'm fucking gonna I'm gonna also take out everywhere that we said tranny, just because I don't yeah. want that. I don't word. like either, but I I'm just, it's like I know. Yeah. yeah. That's why I'm not quoting uh, anything that they're saying, because I just like I don't I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. I just don't wanna yeah. I just don't wanna con- uh, I don't know. I don't know how it contributes. I don't know. Here's the thing is I'm not the authority on this shit. I'm just trying to do what uh, because I'm I'm a fucking cis white person with a podcast. You know what I mean? So I'm not yeah. I'm not going to I I just want to if, if, educate myself as far as I can and then and then yeah. use that and be respectful of other people. That's it. Yeah. And if there's uh stuff that we don't know that we say that's weird, you you clock it, fucking email us. Let us know. If you want yeah, if you want. It, it's not your job to educate us, I'm just saying if you feel And whatever. we've we've received emails like that before and we've always received them with like full on openness and appreciate it. So very appreciated. Yeah. So please know that like we would love to hear from you if you have thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. So then Craig and try this whole conversation's infuriating, right? Craigan's trying to make Cheryl out to be a sex worker because he can't process a trans person living any other life, leaning mm-hmm. into the kink of it or as opposed to it being someone's true identity and living on authentic life. Right. Uh, and there's but, also nothing wrong with being a fucking sex worker too. Correct. But like the whole pigeonholing. Yeah. Yeah. It's pigeonholing her into it's like, well, this is this must have been what she was doing because like that's anyway. Huang actually uses the information that they received to move the meeting forward. Mm-hmm. He thinks things got violent when Joe discovered Cheryl was trans, mm-hmm. and Craigan guesses it may be that Joe threatened to tell Eddie and Cheryl hurt him. Mm-hmm. Staves is like, dude, he's gotta know by now. They've been dating a couple of months, and I got Kath pregnant from across the room at 16. <laughs> but like, of course they've yeah. whatever. The assumption now is that they were in on it together to mm-hmm. try to cover shit up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Huang says that Eddie is the weaker link. Cheryl is the one calling the shots. Mm-hmm. 
now Stabler has Eddie in an interrogation room. After some roundabout between the two of them, Stabler's like, oh, bud, you didn't tell us about Cheryl. And Eddie doesn't understand. And Stabler makes a big speech about what you do in your private life is your business. Okay, this mm-hmm. is one of many ways they're behaving as if Cheryl is not a person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he just, Eddie has a relationship with this woman. And Stabler's like, assuming that Eddie knows that Cheryl's trans, Stabler is making it like this whole like, hey, man, I'm not judging you what you're doing is so far from normal but so this conversation on stabler's end paints cheryl as strictly like a kink okay Mm -hmm. he then calls her a man and i smash my laptop Mm -hmm. eddie doesn't believe stabler and thinks it's a sick joke Mm -hmm. Ah! but that's me screaming (laughs) but stabler confirms it by telling him they did a blood test i i just hate how he approaches it and stabler doesn't even know that he's like doing it right Right. He's like, I'm I'm being real gentle here. He's like, like this is I'm sorry you have to find out this way, dude. <sighs> and he was like, Oh, I've seen her boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Stan was like, female hormones, they can do that. <laughs> Right. So Eddie's like, oh, my God, we weren't having sex because Cheryl told me that she wanted to wait. Mm -hmm. And Eddie's acting like he's going to barf. And I hate it. I know. He's like, I held her. I kissed her. I'm like, yeah, okay. Mm. Like, I don't feel like, yeah, it's just, I don't know how in the early 2000s viewers were supposed to, what they were anticipating viewers to respond with. But like, if it was empathy for this guy, I mean, this is the fucking Ace Ventura of it all, isn't it? Mm-hmm. right fuck you so eddie's like i gotta see cheryl and he bops out and which he, hold on i was like i'm sorry you can just leave the room right <laughs> i was like well stabler chases him down stabler's yeah. following him and so he goes into her interview room and she's like eddie and he grabs her and assaults her by grabbing her genitals and calling her a freak Ugh. and these serve and protect motherfuckers just sit back and watch uh-huh. and let him do it cheryl sorry i got really i'm like and let him do it yeah. Sorry. So Cheryl, of course, crumbles into a corner crying. You know, so Stabler drags Eddie out and Cheryl's crying and she asks why they would do that. Benson said that Eddie would have eventually found out. Like, what, do you, what's, what are you doing? It's not your and fucking... She, okay, but yeah. No. Ahead. And Cheryl says something so heartbreaking and she goes, I thought if I could make him love me enough, he would understand. No, I was like, oh, Ugh. honey. It's just, I mean, I cannot imagine having that on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I hold her 0% accountable for lying. Yeah. Tell me, tell me I'm wrong. I see that's something where go ahead. Send, now send me an email. Tell me I'm wrong. I don't mm. give a shit because we have put her, society has put her in a position where she has yeah. to do that for her own fucking safety. Throughout this whole episode where they're like, you know, he walked out so she wasn't under attack anymore. Like there's different types of being in danger and an attack mm-hmm. and like, one is having somebody with this information that could get you killed. Right. You know and what I mean? Gi- yeah. Like, yeah. Jesus. This gives me, I'm already getting a headache. I know. I have like chills right now. Okay. Okay. Benson gets Cheryl to sit and continues with the interview. And Cheryl tells the truth. She says that Joe knew her secret because he walked in on her using the bathroom. So that's why she hit Joe with the vase. She mm. never meant to kill him. She just didn't want him to talk. Meanwhile, like, Stabler oh. goes to the bathroom to check on Eddie. And they have another insane bullshit conversation mm-hmm. with major homophobic overtones where Eddie's like, oh, my God. Doesn't say it, but says like, oh, my God, what if I'm really gay deep down? And it's like, ugh. and Stabler's comforting him with you were in love with a woman. That's what you knew. Fuck you 
you guys. Cheryl you is guys. a fucking woman. She uh, is a woman. Like, refer to the oh. disclaimer. Refer to the disclaimer. 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 <laughs> and then Eddie faints. Oh, his heart condition. That's what I thought immediately. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, he's got a heart condition. Stabler yells for help. Kwong and Craig and run in. No, no, no. It wasn't Craig and. It was some what? fucking random guy in a blue shirt. Oh, <laughs> was like, I thought it was Craig. <laughs> yeah, it was some dude. He, Craig does come in later, but he, this. Oh, okay. It was some guy in a blue shirt that was like, what's going on on? huang and this dude were just hanging out by the coffee maker and huang's like jesus christ can i have a goddamn cup of coffee (laughs) am i allowed to talk to anybody else that isn't fucking stapler and toots (sighs) jesus Juan goes into action. He's like, oh my God, you have to give him CPR. Here's an empty pill bottle. He's overdosing on his heart meds because the bottle was empty. Mm-hmm. Stabler starts CPR and he's like, come on, Eddie. Let's be men together, Eddie. You're super straight, Eddie. Come on, buddy. Then Craig comes in and like with his pleated pants and he's like, hey, <laughs> hey dudes, what's up? And he's just hanging out with his hands in his pockets. The medics are on the scene for Eddie. Wong tells him that Eddie had no pulse for 10 minutes. Huang pronounced him dead and gives the medics the pill bottle. The EMT looked so much like bj novak dude oh i didn't notice i had to look and then i was like wait a minute no this was 20 years ago he looks like now bj novak Mm. the medic says he'll give him the autopsy results but looks looks a lot like suicide internal affairs hot dude shows up remember the iab guy oh my god yeah yeah Yeah. i i commented on his looks too i must have been in a gabe uh state of mind because go ahead go ahead i'll tell you Uh, gabe state of mind the new york state oh jeez He shows up and he says that Eddie would be considered, quote, death in custody, regardless of if it was a suicide, because he was in the precinct and shit. And like they were interviewing Craig is like, Jesus, y'all are like sharks smelling blood in the water. (laughs) Yeah. IAB. Is it Tucker? I think. Yeah. IAB Tucker tells Stabler that, well, you left a lethal dose of pharmaceuticals in Eddie's possession. So and Staves, this is where I note his looks, because I said Staves isn't having any of this guy's silver fox sexy shit and says, talk to me through my delegate. Oh, yeah, that's right. Wong tells IAB that the dude needs the pills because they're for his heart. They can't take them away from him. And then IAB is like, yeah, well, none of you guys fucking kept a good enough watch. Craigan reminds Tucker that they don't have fucking jurisdiction over a Dr. Wong because he's motherfucking FBI. Okay. IAB is going to investigate and will fucking narc out Wong's involvement to the FBI for review. Like, fuck you guys. Mm-hmm. But also, we, like, need IAB to keep cops clean. But also, like, I really do like how Craigan is sticking up for Huang, too. In the arraignment, hotshot lawyer Marty Berger... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of like future things that I went off on about his name. Oh, okay. So Cheryl's lawyer, Marty Berger, is a face that everyone knows. Actor mm-hmm. Michael Lerner. He's been in everything since 1963. I remember him mm-hmm. as Mr. Fulton, the head of the publishing company in the movie Elf. Okay. Mm-hmm. And his name's Morty, actually. Morton Berger. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, in this, he's Morton Berger, and he comes back in 2006. Mm-hmm. Morty. So everyone walks in and they're like, oh my God, it's fucking Berger. Oh my God. He's he's such a good lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Even Cabot was like, holy shit. Yeah. So Cheryl's being charged with one count of murder in the second degree. She's pleading not guilty. This judge is like, you wouldn't have even shown up if it wasn't about publicity. He's got a reputation. He's famous, you know? Mm -hmm. So she sets the bail at 200K. Everyone's like, oh, this guy is all about the press. The entire time, everybody's sitting there like, holy shit. Cabot's sitting there with her mouth open the whole time. A hummingbird comes up and just like, doot, 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 out of the bottom of her tongue. It was... insane she always that keeps they did sugar that. water on her <laughs> 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 
outside of the courtroom, the press is interviewing Cheryl's lawyer, Berger. They ask him if he's going to he be... He has mayonnaise this. slathered all over his hair. <laughs> it's a little bit later where I start going into like oh, okay. fucking cheeseburger talk. <laughs> The press asked him if he's going to be using the insanity defense, which I was like, what? He's like, no, of course not. This case is about society's prejudice against the trans commute, but then gets cut off. Mm-hmm. Cabot walks by and the press flocks her. First of all, Berger's absolutely right. You know, Correct. I had trouble with this guy, though. I mean, Anyways, yeah. Cabot refuses to speak to the media, swarming her. She says the DA office will try this case in the courtroom, not in the press. They're all pissed and leave. And then there's yeah. this voiceover. It's so stupid because then it's like, oh, come on, Miss Cabot. Give us a break. Oh, the trouble's <laughs> out here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Where's they're my all fries? Muppets. They're like all Jim Henson Muppets. I feel like that's what they would say. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> and they all like wiggle their arms over their heads and run away. Fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> Burger asks Cabot why she's not into taking her 15 minutes of fame. And she's like, Ugh. and we're supposed to be like, ugh. Mm-hmm. Berger says that his firm paid Cheryl's bail. Cabot accuses him of making Cheryl a poster child and says he's probably doing it pro bono. And he's like, uh, yeah, duh. This case could set a precedent. Cabot says that the judge will never suppress Cheryl's confession. And Berger's like, good. He's going to use her confession to support the case that she acted out of self-defense in fear of possible violence or death when, when others were told she was trans. Yes. Cabot tells him that the fear of reprisal never holds up in court. Like, doing something out of fear to... But it's fucking different. This is literally, like, life or death. Right. Whatever. I know they're presenting Burger to appear a certain way. Like, we're supposed to be like, ooh, he's, like, sleazy Johnny Cochran-style whatever lawyer. Not to say that Johnny Cochran's sleazy. Just that he, like, really likes the press and whatever and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But at least he's fucking advocating for her. Like, he's the only one that's speaking... That's why I have the problem, like the, you know, mm-hmm. and then Berger says, come on, we both know what people do when they find out the truth about the transgendered. They kill them. <sighs> okay. Chills, chills, chills. Yeah. I write fucking fact, period. Yeah. 2003 facts that are still facts 20 years later. I am worked up. <laughs> I okay. am worked up. Yeah. Period. Oh, my fucking diamond nips. <sighs> Space bar. Return next scene. Mm-hmm. In the precinct, Cabot, Benson, and Stabler are doing a walk and talk. Stabler thinks that it's an excuse that Cheryl isn't culpable for Joe's death because Cheryl's trans. Mm. Cabot thinks that Berger's argument may work for them because people do usually act poorly towards trans individuals, which includes the jury. She thinks that the jury will have a negative opinion of Cheryl being trans. Stabler goes off about how Cheryl may get witnesses saying Cheryl grew up brutalized, etc. Benson clocks that bullshit and calls out Stabler because it sounds like he has a problem with Cheryl. Right. And Stabler's like, my problem is, oh my God, Mm -hmm. my problem is this quote, he, she, and her lies are the reason we got two dead bodies on our hands. Yeah. And I'm the one that's all jammed up? Okay. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. (laughs) Yeah, disclaimer, disclaimer. I just all caps fuck you, Stabler. Yeah. Mm. Like, like I love precious IRL Christopher Maloney. Like, everything about Mm -hmm. him, I don't connect this with with him. I can't. These are characters. I'm not the, yeah. You're like, yeah, you shouldn't. That would be weird if you did, if you met him and (laughs) you were like, Stabler! Cabot kind of steps in between them and uh, she's like, I want fucking background on Cheryl like now. 
go on get. But Benson says that all they know about Cheryl is she changed her name from Charles when she was 18 and her parents still live in the city. That's kind of a lot. What do you mean? Oh, we don't know anything. Like, right. That's a, that's a lot of rumor. actually. <laughs> I mean, she literally asked for your background. You know where her parents are. Cabot wants Benson to go talk to Cheryl's parents. And Benson is completely convinced that Cheryl isn't violent. Mm-hmm. And Cabot's yeah. like, fucking prove that. So at the <sighs> Avery residence, Cheryl's dad <laughs> is telling Benny that Cheryl stole her mom's menopause hormones and began growing breasts at age age 16 and they threw her out the whole time this but whole he's time using male he's, pronouns he's dead naming her and he's using male pronouns and i'm gonna tell you why i don't give a pass to parents that can't get with the program in cases uh-huh. like these right uh-huh. because they want you to be torn between having sympathy yeah. for them and being like "Ooh, they're being really hard on her and whatever i don't care that you don't understand it i don't care that it's new to you it's your kid and you need to get information from the appropriate sources to best support them that is your job as a parent Okay, Mm -hmm. the end, period. So mom goes, you think we're cruel, detective, but we had already lost our son. There was nothing else you could do. My note, you stupid bitch, you ignorant (laughs) lady bowl cut having stupid, stupid (laughs) bitch. Cheryl had refused therapy, which I'm sure what they were offering wasn't what the appropriate professional would give her. And there wasn't anything wrong with her. No, but I mean, like to to get therapy to process what's going on inside of you when there aren't a lot of resources is a resource source but that you know is not they what they were offering that. no yeah. it was it was probably some conversion shit it was not i i hate mom's well, fucking hair and sweater and smug suits watching face i fucking hate her so much <laughs> she tells benny that god doesn't make mistakes and this is the absolute worst argument for that way of thinking god doesn't mm-hmm. make mistakes cool then diabetics don't take insulin no surgery to repair a heart murmur no glasses for poor vision basically you roll the dice and can do absolutely nothing to alter the way that you're born that mm-hmm. is what we should be doing if that is the case stop fucking cherry picking you fucking fake christian ass bullshit okay sorry mm-hmm. if a person is in the wrong body and nothing is done to support them how they need it can lead to death Mm-hmm. Like, look at the fucking stats on it. Veering back, disclaimer, mm-hmm. the parents don't want to have to explain Cheryl to her younger siblings. Ah, I get off course. I get off course again. No, go back. <laughs> Cheryl's sister, Sarah, then bops in to ask her terrible mother something. But her mom's like, hey, I'm busy right now. I'll come talk to you in a second. And she's like, okay. She makes eye contact with Benny. And I'm like, we'll see you again, Sarah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. As Benny continues to question the parents, then she's calling her Cheryl and she's using she her pronouns as she should and the dad fucking loses it flips loses it and goes Charlie he screams it so Benson forces herself to use male pronouns for Sherry just to be able Sherry (laughs) Sherry and I we became close (laughs) for Cheryl just to be able to get her questions answered you know Mm -hmm. she asked dad if Cheryl had ever been violent in the past and he says yeah one time she beat a kid so badly with a baseball bat that he had to go to the hospital. Is that violent enough for you? I hope these people die. (laughs) Outside the house, Cheryl's younger sister, Sarah, is waiting for Benson. Hello. Mm -hmm. Sarah says that she still talks to Cheryl, but the parents don't know because they're fucking trash and would kick Mm -hmm. her out if they knew. Yeah, she's like, my parents are wrong. And I'm like, yeah, they are, honey. Yes. I'm glad that you fucking see that. The baseball bat incident was in self-defense, The baseball team chased Cheryl, so she fought back and defended herself. Oh, my God. 
Could you imagine a whole baseball team chasing? Oh my god! Can you no? Can like the how terrifying? Like the the trauma, right? Kids constantly made fun of Cheryl and beat her up, and she had to go to the hospital multiple times because of it. And Sarah says to Benny, "I don't care what anybody says. She's the bravest person I know." Goddamn fucking right she is. Full chills. Full body this chills. This is how you yeah. do it. This is yeah. how we do it. This love this sister for Cheryl. Love her. Mm-hmm. Now in Cabot's office, Benson and Cabot are talking about Cheryl. Benny talked to Cheryl's former teachers, and one teacher had suggested to Cheryl that she go to the Harvey Milk Alternative School for LGBTQ kids, mm-hmm. but she didn't get to go because her parents wouldn't let her. Of course. And Cabot's like, what's with all the details? I just want to know if she's ever been violent. <laughs> she was like, I don't fucking care. Just I don't care about this girl's life. Like, has she? What did you guys find out? <laughs> Yeah. But Benson's like, dude, you've got to see the nuance here. And I really want to get this across to you. Fucking Cheryl was only ever violent in self-defense. Like, I have to give you the backstory because, yes, she was violent. But these are the reasons why. It's not black Mm -hmm. and white, dude. She was Mm -hmm. tortured terribly and had been through absolute hell. And then Cabot, who I normally love for her clarity on shit. But, like, this is just, ugh. Cabot's like, it doesn't make what she did okay. Like, I want to talk. I want to break this down for a minute. No. uh, (laughs) Can you fucking, all the fucking bullshit and how hard it is for the trans community and you want to tell me that they're choosing this that it's mm-hmm. a choice for them Don't. like fuck off i know tell me when you made the choice to be straight and tell me how hard that was for you right fuck yourself tell me when you looked in the mirror and you were like this looks right yeah so yeah cabot's like what her life was didn't make what she did okay right and benson is begging her to offer cheryl a plea cabot won't offer a plea until she knows intent and says that if delicious cheesy (laughs) (laughs) says that if delicious cheesy lawyer burger with a side of fries agrees to cheryl getting a psyche veil she'll have wong do it Oh my God. I just like, obviously we all know what he looks like now then because his top bun is flopping up and down as he talks. Remember in the eighties, his tongue is a tomato. <laughs> Remember in the eighties, the cop, the burger cop from McDonald's. The- oh my God. I, I make a hamburger joke later. No, it's not. The, it, but yeah, but that's fucking funny. Yeah. Holy shit. We were both doing like eighties. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he has, his head is that he's without the, the little police hat. Yes. Okay. We'll get there. Ugh, I don't even have the energy to be excited that we make the same jokes because I'm just drained by all of this, but... Yeah. Huang speaks with Cheryl. Cheryl tells Huang that she knew she was different when she was seven. Quote, unquote, different, I should say. She dreamt every night about being a girl and forced herself to be a boy. That's how she dealt with it. Huang points out how hard that must have been. Yeah. Cheryl was caught putting on makeup when she was 10. God, I said that so Wisconsin. <laughs> makeup. <laughs> makeup. Cheryl was caught putting on makeup when she was 10. I can't say it any other way. Her father beat her to shit and called her names. But it didn't fucking change her feelings about being a woman because it's not something you can fucking change. Cheryl wanted the surgery to transition, but she wanted it more after meeting Eddie. She couldn't tell him because she didn't want to lose him. She thought if she had the surgery, she wouldn't have to tell him. And I was like, oh, honey. When Joe saw Cheryl in the bathroom, she had flashbacks to all the fucking abuse she had growing up. Mm-hmm. And now... And reacted. Right. Wong and Cabot do a walk and talk. Wong explains to Cabot that Cheryl's instances of violence were in response to the actions of other people and mm-hmm. always in self-defense. Even though Joe was leaving the bathroom, the threat wasn't over for Cheryl. Yeah. What would the drunken kids at the party do to her? Wong does not think that Cheryl intended to kill Joe, and he's kind of like passionate about it. Cabot is frustrated, but says that if Wong is convinced Cheryl didn't mean to kill Joe, she'll drop the charges against Cheryl to man one. I'm like, mm. God. In fucking Burger's 
office. In Burger's little cardboard container that flips open <laughs> and you can use the other side to put ketchup for your fries. Burger tells Cabot that he told Cheryl about Cabot's offer, but she wants to go to trial. Cabot's like, she does or you do? You know, because she's like, you're all about fucking publicity. And he says that he became a lawyer to change society's conceptions about what, quote, normal is. Bullshit, whatever. He, well, actually, probably, people probably always get into lawyer shit for that. But mm-hmm. he totally insists that he is in this case for the cause the case being gender isn't always binary and i was like whoa hello 2003 right i love how he speaks on that but also both things can be true at once like he can love a spotlight moment but Mm -hmm. he can also love advocating for people that others refuse to hear right he thinks cheryl's case can help change all of that stuff right but cabot thinks he's in it for the press and notoriety of course burger doesn't think that cheryl will go to prison because cheryl was sexually assaulted by joe and threatened to be outed and had to defend herself So now Cabot's sitting in a diner eating a bowl of soup, just beige fucking soup. Cheryl walks in to meet her and she is... It's not not soup. It's fucking chicken broth. (laughs) It's hot ham water. (laughs) Hot dog water, dude. Gross. (laughs) Cheryl walks in and she is hitting us with an early aughts look that I personally rocked very hard. She's got like Mm -hmm. shoulder length flipped out layers. So it looks like a feathery Christmas tree Mm -hmm. and a knee length fur trimmed coat, which I Mm -hmm. had multiple versions of. And Mm -hmm. oh. It was just like the best way to top off an outfit. She sits down and she's like, dude, we shouldn't even be meeting without my attorney, but I'm here. So what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Cabot tells Cheryl that she's concerned about how a burger is handling her case. Cabot doesn't think Cheryl's going to get acquitted. She says that she thinks the jury will have trouble separating, quote, the facts of the case from who you are. Making the whole system fucking flawed. That is the first uh-huh. thing they need to do is separate the facts of the case from who you are. And that's why having 12 fucking idiots to... Okay. <laughs> Disclaimer. Cheryl's like, dude, you're the prosecutor. Why do you care? It's Cap. It's curious kitty curiosity. <laughs> she wants to know why Cheryl's refusing the deal. That's when we see Cheryl's like, what? What deal? Cheryl didn't know about the man one deal that Cabot had offered. Berger never fucking told her. What the fuck, Berger? In Cabot's office, Berger and Cheryl are there, and Berger is wagging his finger all over the place at Cabot for talking to Cheryl without him. He threatens to take her talking to Cheryl to the judge and the disciplinary committee, and Cabot's like, cool, do it. They're gonna love the part where you didn't even tell Cheryl about my offer and then lied to me when you told me you had told her. Go ahead, you Greasy, delicious smash burger from Culver's. You know what? Add some bacon and fries to that shit, you delicious fuck. <laughs> Burger and Cabot try to convince Cheryl to take each of their sides separately. So if Cheryl takes the deal, she could possibly go, go to prison for only five years. Or she can go to trial and has the potential of either getting off or getting 15 to life, which mm-hmm. is riskier. I mean, that's why people right. take fucking deals, right? Yeah. You can tell that Cheryl doesn't fully trust Burger now because he could have been yeah. sitting out for 24 hours and have salmonella. <laughs> so she takes Cabot's deal. Yeah. Cabot also says, like, he's trying to make you a fucking martyr for the cause, dude. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Cheryl's like, I'm going to take the deal, I'm like, fuck, I know exactly exactly where this is going and mm. i was correct <laughs> yeah but what? she takes a deal and then cabot does the nod gift from the like 70s woodman <laughs> <laughs> she's like yes <laughs> in the precinct benson is back from court then he tells stabler about cheryl pleading out and she tells him that sarah is the only person from cheryl's family that was there to support her her mom mm. was busy somewhere passing out homophobic church literature and dad was reliving that time his own father hugged him once <laughs> i hate that family 
Berger shows up and says that Cheryl wants to talk to someone about her plea, but doesn't want to talk to Cabot because she feels like Cabot tricked her into pleading out. Cheryl wants to talk to Benson specifically because she thinks that Benny's going to understand her need for different accommodations. Mm-hmm. They threw her in a men's prison, everybody. Mm-hmm. At Rikers Island, Cheryl's freaking out to Benny. She's fucking scared. She's housed with men, which was news mm-hmm. to her. Benson turns to look at Berger and goes, you didn't tell her? And he shrugs and goes, I told her to go to trial. And Benny's like, bullshit. You set yeah. her up. Now you're going to get a civil rights case and media notoriety out of it. You sloppy shit sack. <laughs> yeah, he's doing this for his fucking career. He's a piece of shit. Yeah, he's a piece of shit, but it's the best one we've got. <laughs> so far right you know no benson she may not fully get it i'm trying to think of like who's who's the best piece of shit in this this episode but she yeah she really only used a term that was still okay at the time benson and wong yeah yeah huang especially yeah but she always used the correct pronouns yes she did Um, yeah yeah so benny turns her body back to cheryl and walks towards her but keeps her dragon eye contact with burger as if to say i would fucking kill you if i could yeah and she just says i'm sorry to cheryl yeah cheryl's like begging but there's like nothing that fucking benson can do Mm. and my first thought obviously we get to it later but my first thought was like oh my god protective custody but protective custody sucks Cabot and Benson are doing a little walk and talk. Cabot can't move Cheryl to a woman's prison because she still has male genitals. In New York, the government defines a gender by their genitals, at least then. I don't know what the fuck that shit is now, but and I was like, wow, okay. Cabot can't do anything. Berger will have to fight it out with the Department of Corrections and Cabot will make an appearance and see what she can do. I mean, Cabot like doesn't want bad things to happen to Cheryl. You know what I mean? Yeah. She doesn't want this shit. She wants to do what she's supposed to with whatever the law is right now, but she also she also has a heart oh cabot at the department of corrections we're in the office of judge Schechtel. i hate her i hate her so this judge uses male pronouns to talk about cheryl in the hearing burger tells the judge it's derogatory but the judge offers a half-assed fucking apology like oh i'm so sorry and then falling back on cheryl being quote biologically a man burger says that cheryl could be singled out and abused if continued to be housed with men and then talks about the rules surrounding hormone levels of trans prisoners having to be maintained but it only applies to prescribed hormones and cheryl was using birth control from a friend for her hormones Cheryl leans over to Berger and says, I'd rather fucking die than stop hormone therapy. Cabot offers protective custody as an option, but Berger says 23 hours a day alone. That's fucking cruel and unusual. Right. The judge gives Cheryl the choice to either stop hormones or go into protective custody. Obviously, Cheryl is upset and asks if there's anything else that can be done. Cabot interjects, Cheryl hasn't actually been sentenced yet. And then the judge says, have Judge Lawson vacate the guilty plea, take it to trial, and hope for an acquittal. Which is exactly what Cabot didn't want to do in the first place because she didn't think Cheryl would fucking do well. Right. But there's nothing else that can be done. It's that or fucking go back into custody with men and she'll be fucking beat to hell by them. Right. And raped for sure. Yep. Oh in God. Cabot's office, Kelsey Grammer in a Kelsey Grammer suit walks in. Yes! Oh, my God! <laughs> I've seen the guy a million times yeah. in other stuff. But, but I don't... doesn't he look like, like he looks, yes. remember the guy in the Edgar suit? But it is Kelsey Grammer <laughs> underneath, and then he zips it up, and he's wearing a Kelsey Grammer suit on the outside of himself. He just comes in, and he's like, sugar water, sugar water, sugar water. <laughs> so this is DA Arthur Branch. He's a crossover from Law & Order Regular. He was on 116 episodes of Regular and 11 of SVU. So... We already should know him, except we're not regular viewers. Cabot talks to him about getting off the case. He wants her to stay because she's a bad bitch who can take a big old bite out of lawyer burger. The law burglar. <laughs> Is that what I... That's what I ended with? That's what I fucking... That was my piece de resistance burger joke? 
instead uh, of the, the hamburglar. I'm like, he's the law burglar. I remember writing that now and thinking that was fucking gold. <laughs> all this time and it was a pass. Cabot is empathetic to Cheryl's all this time and it was a pass. The whole time it was a pass. <laughs> Just like every relationship. So Cabot's empathetic to Cheryl's fucked up situation and admits that it bothers her more than it probably should, that the jury would most likely convict Cheryl differently than if she had been born in a female body. Mm-hmm. And the DA's like, dude, she killed a guy. What do you care? Mm-hmm. Um, Because her being trans is going to get looked at more than the actual facts. And Cabot fucking gives a shit about the facts. But he thinks that Cabot needs to ask herself who would treat Cheryl with more fairness, Cabot or someone else who would put Cheryl's gender on trial. But that's exactly what's going to happen either way. That is what happens. Next scene. In the trial, there's a psychologist on the stand and he's explaining gender dysphoria in trans women and brain structure and function. And Berger's arguing that Cheryl's brain is physiologically female. So Cabot gets up and asks if the picture in the exhibit is actually Cheryl's brain. And the expert's like, no, it can't be. It's an example because the part of the brain that gets examined for this can only be examined post-mortem. The camera cuts to Benson, who is not happy with Cabot's line of questioning. Mm -hmm. She's getting into the territory of like, this is easy for her. Like she can discredit this immediately. Cabot's argument is that they didn't use Cheryl's brain for this. So they can't prove that Cheryl's brain is similar to the one used in the examples that the psychologist used. The guy can't say either way. Also, why are we trying to prove the validity of her gender identity? The facts of this case are that she was traumatized from years of abuse because of how she presented. It has nothing to do with anything, right? Mm -hmm. Immediately, the gender is on trial. (laughs) Yeah. We just said that. The guy is like, what the... Like, they're just bringing this up to get the jury to be sympathetic to Cheryl because these fucking boomers in the early aughts sitting in the jury can't decide whether they should look at her like a person or not. Yeah, and and it's like, let's say the brain isn't that, like, doesn't have that thing. Mm. The experiences that Cheryl had are still the same. Are real. Those yeah. are the real facts. Those are the things that happened. Her going to the it hospital, does. getting stitches, her like right. whatever the, the the case is, like it's even if she was quote faking being trans or whatever the fuck they think, like you know what uh, I mean? It's like what are you fucking? I do need to note that Gabe's air quotes almost knocked her out of the chair. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, it's just like, what? what is the point of this? I get the point. What I just said is they're like, hey, you guys need to understand this a little bit because you're all fucking bigots probably and can't see past the fact that she's trans and have yeah. some sort of fucked up bias about it. Now Cheryl's on the stand. Berger asks her to tell about the first time she was assaulted for what she wore, for how she presented, right? Mm-hmm. She describes an awful assault on her when she was 12 by three boys in the bathroom at school. Cheryl explains that she had been assaulted many times in her life to the point where she was worried that someone was going to kill her. And she Mm -hmm. had that fear in the bathroom with Joe. Kevin gets up to cross-examine Cheryl and she questions her about the party, why she was afraid, etc. She asks her about her relationship with Eddie and how Cheryl lied to him. She tells Cheryl, quote, you told the detectives that you were afraid if Eddie found out you were trans, he'd leave you. Cabot says that was your real motive for killing Joe, Mm -hmm. not because you were afraid for your life, just your relationship. Cheryl says that she wasn't thinking ahead. She just hit him because she was scared he would tell Eddie. But then she immediately caves and admits that she had to stop Joe from telling Eddie. The fucking line in questioning to by Cabot, like Cabot's like, why didn't you sleep with Eddie? It's like none of your fucking business. Oh, my God. Right. You know, she's like, you deceived him. Eddie killed himself Mm -hmm. after that. And I was like, oh, my God. Well, Cheryl yells like, I blame myself. I'm like, what? No, she does. Of course, she blames herself because everybody tells her it's her fault that she has to lie to stay alive. 
Anyway. Yeah. So Cheryl's found guilty of murder in the second degree. Mm-hmm. They're dragging her away and she is just begging and asking for help. Benson mm-hmm. is not happy. She's like, don't send me to that place. She knows what's waiting for her there. Mm-hmm. Now we're in Cabot's office. Benson walks in and asks her to get a half a beer. Cabot declines but says thank you like no one has ever asked her to hang out in her entire life. She's yeah. like, thank you. <laughs> But I can't. Yeah. Then she asks Benson if she pushed Cheryl too hard because she feels bad. But Benson's like, "Eh, you did your job. You know, Benson gets a fucking phone call. She's like, oh, my God, I have to go to Bellevue. And I think you should come with. We go to the hospital. Mm. Benson goes to the nurse's station. Benson was called regarding a rape victim. The nurse replies, they're taking him up to surgery now. Cheryl is shown on a gurney, unconscious beat to absolute fucking shit neck in a brace in an oxygen tube the the nurse tells cabot that cheryl was gang raped at rikers Mm. cabot looks shaken and benson just fucking stands there like yep yeah Ah! toyota toyota Toyota! um are you yeah it's like are you going to are you gonna blame yourself for this cabot if cheryl was supposed to blame herself for what happened to eddie you put Cheryl in this situation, didn't you? I would normally argue no, but with that logic. Right. Oh my God, that took us for fucking ever to record. I don't know how much of it I'm going to cut out because we just go off and off and off. Yeah. All right, let's do this. If you've seen the movie Boys Don't Cry, you already know what story I'm going to tell you. Uh, mm-hmm. Brandon Tina was assigned female at birth with a name that he moved on from when he began living his authentic self. I will not be dead naming him here. That's easily accessible on the internet, but it's not for me to do. I will also only be using he, him pronouns. Okay. Mm-hmm. 13 year old Joanne Brandon was living in a low income trailer park when she had her daughter, Tammy. Three years later at 16, married and pregnant again, her husband died in a car accident. On December 12th, 1972 in Lincoln, Nebraska, she gave birth to a baby who would eventually go by Brandon Tina. Mm-hmm. His mom struggled to support Brandon and his sister living off disability. And both kids were molested for years by a male family member, their uncle as children. When Tammy told their grandma about the abuse, she didn't act on the information that she was given at all. Completely ignored it. Of course, Brandon's whole childhood, he was referred to as a tomboy. In his high school mm-hmm. years, he began outwardly identifying as male. He was an athletic, mm-hmm. handsome, outgoing class clown. He was always described as being outgoing. Some would describe him as the all-American type, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of dude. Yeah. His mom, Joanne, however, was not supportive of Brandon's truth. She refused to use appropriate pronouns or call him anything other than his dead name and referred to him as her daughter. Mm -hmm. This continued, like articles I read from not long ago. You know, my heart breaks for a mom who's lost a child, but like Mm -hmm. toward the end of his senior year, Brandon took a big turn for the worse, struggling with depression. He missed a lot of school, dropped to failing levels in his classes and was finally expelled just before the end of the year. Mm. Like so many unsupported trans youth, Brandon made an attempt on his life. Following this Mm -hmm. attempt, he entered the Lancaster County Crisis Center to stay for a few days and be evaluated by a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist by early 90s standards diagnosed him with a personality disorder and having a gender identity crisis. Brandon was sent for counseling to David Bolivac, the director of the Gay and Lesbian Resource Center at the University of Nebraska, to treat his, quote, gender identity crisis. Needless to say, Mm -hmm. he did not attend for long. And then at 18, Brandon tried to join the Army but failed the written exam. By 1993, there were multiple warrants out for Brandon's arrest from a prior forgery conviction. He was supposed to be serving 18 months of probation, but he skipped out on court dates and probation counseling Mm. sessions. He'd been getting in trouble for a little while, you know, and and the 
big one was forgery, uh, like kiting checks, fucking stealing credit mm. cards, shit like that. Yeah. So he was like, I got to get out of here. Brandon took off for Falls City, Nebraska and settled nearby in a town called Humboldt. Miles from home where he felt like he could start a life from scratch and be known only as Brandon, a cisgendered 21-year-old man. Like, that's all he ever wanted. Right. He made friends quickly and was taken in by Lisa Lambert. She lived in a rural area in a little farmhouse with her infant son, Tanner. Other friends he made included John Lauder and Marvin Thomas Neeson, two other guys with petty criminal records. His charm and personality got him into a romantic relationship with 19-year-old Lana Tisdell pretty quickly as well. Like, he had a lot of intense relationships. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't surprising that he got a girlfriend like right away. Mm-hmm. So Brandon's old ways of getting money came back. Uh, he started forging checks again and was arrested on December 19th, 1993. When mm-hmm. Lana went to the jail to pick up her boyfriend, she was surprised to find him being held in the women's area of the jail. Brandon explained to Lana that he was intersex, which is something that he said a lot and was waiting to be able to have a surgery to correct it. He, he told a lot of um, this version to... Uh, women that he had dated and anybody that like you know found out this is where the movie boys don't cry and the truth differ obviously it's a movie in the movie lana continues dating brandon but irl lana tisdale sued fox searchlight for misrepresenting the truth which was that she ended their relationship after this conversation that's what she says Mm. Yeah. And the suit was eventually settled for an undisclosed amount. I don't know how much of that was. Yeah. I don't know. They still spent time together and stuff. So not our business. Anyway, the details of his arrest were then published in the paper, revealing his dead name and gender assigned at birth. (sighs) So everybody in town knew. I mean, this went through a fucking tiny town like Humboldt, Nebraska, like fucking wildfire. Right. On Christmas Eve, Brandon was confronted at a party by his friends john lauder and marvin thomas neeson at neeson's home they violently forced him to undress to expose him to the other party guests their intention was to make lana see that later in the very early hours on christmas day the two shoved brandon into a car drove him to a remote area and raped him they threatened that if he told anyone they would kill him they then all went back to neeson's house where brandon snuck out of a bathroom window and went to lana's who had already gone home she called an ambulance as soon as she saw him oh my god at the fall city hospital staff conducted a rape kit as brandon filed a police report he had extensive injuries and traces of semen were found so pretty clear-cut shit right right sheriff Char- the, I, I the questioning that he got i know yeah the police Sheriff Charles Law was a victim-blaming piece of shit about it. Mm -hmm. He interrogated Brandon, asking him questions like, quote, do you run around once in a while with a sock in your pants to make you look like a boy? Or why do you run around with girls instead of guys, being you're a girl yourself? Being you're a girl yourself. Mm. I didn't even put it like, he also asked him extremely demeaning questions about the rape itself. Mm-hmm. The sheriff then interviewed Neeson and Lauder, but never made an arrest despite having a ton of evidence. Just let him go. Then on December 31st, the two came through on their threat to Brandon. They mm. broke into Lisa Lambert's house where Brandon was staying and shot him at point blank range twice under the chin. When he moved, they stabbed him in the liver. They then proceeded to murder Lisa and Philip Devine, Lisa's boyfriend, who was also staying there. Mm-hmm. They were both shot execution style. Lisa was shot like five times. She was shot in the chest a bunch, in the head. It was Why? Oh, All in the same house with Lisa's eight-month-old son. They left the baby there, and the poor thing was alone until his grandma, Lisa's mom, came by the next day and discovered the brutal murder. The next day? Mm-hmm. 
Also, in the movie, Philip Devine is completely cut out and only Lisa and Brandon were murdered, which sucks because that, like, I don't know. I mean, I again, it's a movie. It's based on the true story. But, like, just, like, leaving out a victim who was murdered yeah. entirely, like, I don't know. It just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. That same day... The two fucking losers were arrested and charged with the multiple murders. Neeson went on to testify against Lauder, so he got a deal, which was life in prison, while Lauder received the death penalty. The Mm -hmm. death penalty has since been abolished in Nebraska, so Lauder's sentence was changed to life. Anyway, Joanne Brandon sued the sheriff along with Richardson County for failing to protect Brandon. She was awarded only $17,360 of the $350,000 that she asked for. District Judge Orville Cody made it a point to say that Brandon was partly responsible for his own death because of his, quote, lifestyle. What the fuck? Uh, You fucking piece of shit. What? the fuck yeah joanne kept pushing and in 2001 received another ninety-eight thousand two hundred and twenty-three dollars. still not enough nothing nothing's yeah. enough yeah and that's it so i mean it's a it's an extremely well-known case definitely not it's just one drop in the bucket for the violence that trans people mm-hmm. receive for just trying to fucking live and survive yeah fucking honda civic <laughs> i don't know all right everybody um thanks for listening Okay, next week we have season four, episode 22, Futility. Fucking Fred Savage's gross bitch ass is a rapist (laughs) and seems to kick ass at his own damn defense. So gross. I hate it. Next. The worst. You can rate and review us. You can email us at svupod at gmail.com or send us some stuff if you want. Our P.O. Box is P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. Check out our Instagram at svupod and join the fucking Facebook group. SVUPod Elite Squad is my favorite thing ever. SVUPod Elite Squad. Hashtag little bit loud for indie pods. And join the Patreon. Join the Patreon. All right. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Not like crack it like an egg. Not like and then put it in a pan like you know where you're trying to get rid of a spider web and there's like a i just did it once when i was a kid and it the the sack opened up and all of these little spiders came out and i was like Mm -mm." and then i put them in your bed last night (laughs) (laughs) twins no that's a different nope that gives a different uh you know what's so gross about that whole like twins thing because it's, it's incest like, they're sisters see they're yes. sisters <laughs> you want to fuck both of them at the same time do you want to process that a little further and they want to fuck you at the same time gross Bro. what's, what happened to them <laughs> whatever it is makes them fuck good i'm sure you uh, fucking gross pass okay go ahead like who's this jeremy Jeremy. Jeremy. Jeremy Spokin. I don't think I could even do Jeremy Spoke. <laughs> okay. Jeremy. Jeremy. Oh my god, what a song. I know. Okay. Sorry. Uh Cabot Benson Stabler doing. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it was so off key. It was so off key. Yeah. Okay. Stabler hi, thinks hi, hi. Okay, sorry, I can't <laughs> stop. <laughs> Stabler thinks. Oh wait, wait, God. wait, wait. Start over. Okay. Okay. Cabot Benson Stabler, you're addicted to it. You're gonna do it again. It's gonna be hard. I'm not. It. I'm really gonna hold it back because I don't want to have to edit all this shit. Okay. Yeah. Hi. Gabe. Okay. Gabe. Hi. Okay, get out of here. Love you.
and to our Elite Squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Sky K, Marissa M, Elkie H, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Kate H, Uyanga, Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire, Kayla, Allison B, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Laura D, Laura I, Sarah, Emily A, Angela D, Mac, Mac Attack, Pew, 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 pew. Casey W, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Cassandra S, and Kayla B. Thanks so much, you guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. You're the best. Mm-hmm.